Hello everyone and welcome to M Pavilion. My name is Robert Buckingham, I'm the Creative Director and on behalf of the Naomi Milgram Foundation and M Pavilion, I'd like to welcome you all to uh, a big night of architecture. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge the Boonarong people, the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we meet and pay our respects to their land and their elders past and present. Um, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. We have a wonderful uh, group of people. As you know, we're launching a special book, um, Photographs by Tom Ross, and, um, and it's a book of photography and poetry, and it's about architecture um, in Melbourne. Um, so Tom Ross, Michael Roper and Stuart Geddes collaborated. Um, but today, Michaela uh, Sahar, um, and architect, artist, poet, and mentor to the project, project Alex Selenich, will be talking. Um, Michaela is going to introduce the panel. Thank you, Michaela. Thank you. <clears throat> I've been told to speak naturally with this enormous uh, microphone in my face. Um, <laughs> so it was my desire this evening to pin down uh, a set of questions to moderate the discussion for this evening. Um, but this desire was overridden uh, last week at the pub uh, when it became clear that Michael, Alex, Tom and Stuart preferred, in keeping with the style of the collection among buildings, to present, the, uh, to present a series of interrelated ideas um, and thoughts about uh, the project and how it came to be. So, um, among buildings is a deeply considered work Great care has been put into its arrangement and composition, and that which is random, for example, an order for reading. Uh, when you see the book, it comes out in a series of sheets. It's not uh, bound. Um, has been produced with as much thought as that which is carefully ordered. One of the results of this, I think, is that Among Buildings is an invitation to all readers as much as it is a completed publication. In picking up among buildings, we are all invited to participate in the vision which Michael and Tom, in association with Stuart and Alex, have created. So it is my great honour this evening to attempt to curate a lively discussion between uh, Tom, Tom Ross, the photographer, Michael Roper, the poet, uh, Stuart Geddes, the graphic designer, and Alex, uh, who has been a... Who hasn't done anything, really. <laughs> <laughs> who's written a beautiful introduction to the collection um, and has been a, a constant mentor um, to all of these guys. So, welcome. It's also worth noting that Michaela um, has been involved in this project um, for some time as well uh, as a mentor to me um, in the, with the poetry and has been instrumental in that. Um, so, thanks for being a part of the project. Thank you. So I thought I might start. Um, the process of creating this book was um, quite unconventional and perhaps the process of creating all books is quite unconventional. Um, but I thought I would invite Tom and Michael to reflect mm. on how Among Buildings sort of came to be and in particular to talk about the process that they sort of uh, developed together, uh, which was sometimes together, sometimes separate um, and a constant interaction over a period of... Two, two Three years? years? Three years. Um, 
Sure. Uh, Tom and I, uh, for a time, shared a studio space on Gertrude Street. Um, and uh, I think we just kind of clicked pretty quickly and got stuck into all sorts of conversations about things we were interested in and things we w wanted to explore. Um, but this project really uh, took off when uh, Tom took a... We kind of started playing around with the idea of words and images. We're interested in words and images and how they, um, how they can play off each other and build on each other. And um, Tom took a, a great photo of the Cairo Flats where I live, um, which sparked off a whole lot of thoughts that um, I've been having about the building anyway, and I felt like responding to it um, and did so. Um, and then we just kind of kept going. Um, and I think we probably kept going for about a year and a half before we really stopped to consider that we might actually do something uh, with the material. But every month we would just uh, go and visit uh, another building, a building of some significance. It was quite an unscientific process, but um, we would visit another building, walk around together, um, talk about it, um, often for an hour or two, um, asking lots of questions. I would. Um, yeah, make notes. Tom would take photos. Um, I only ever really half-jokingly say that Tom kind of wrote the poetry. I just took, took down the notes um, and then went home and put it together. Um, but it was, yeah, very, very, very collaborative um, in terms of um, informing each other's ideas about the building. And um, yeah, I guess it's Tom, how did you find it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that's a pretty accurate description of what had happened and I was and still am taking photos of a lot of architecture and it was a nice counterpoint to the straight documentary sort of style of documenting and I suppose writing about architecture you're writing a bit as well and it's a bit more, it was an exciting project that was a bit more about the spirit or the immaterial that was what got me into it in the beginning. It wasn't just the bricks and mortar and making sure everything was dead straight and all of that. I think Alex, in his introduction, um, said something about uh, it being less about the buildings themselves or the, the poetry and the photography somehow being more about the visit um, than, than the actual buildings themselves, which I thought was an interesting reflection. And actually, how the process. Do you, do you want me to say something about that? <laughs> you could. <laughs> Go for it, Alex. I, I, ha I have to say, um, I, I wrote this uh, introduction uh, at, least, at least two months ago, and I can't remember a single thing about it, really. So, so, <laughs> do you want to prompt so, Alex? Great. <laughs> I've got a copy no. here if you want to read However, it. it's very likely that uh, what I wrote was something that I think about all the time, and I'm just <laughs> repeating myself wherever I go. Um, that that was a sidetrack. Then I've completely forgotten what I was going to talk about. What was the what was the question about built, about the visit itself? Oh, about the visit the visit itself. Yes, this is this is an interesting um, thing to um, to sort of uh, come to grips with because uh, there, there were, well there were probably a lot of, a lot of architects here. I can actually, I can actually see a few friendly faces here that I, I can uh, put to the to the word architect, but most architects will visit a. Um, Will know about the experience of being um, uh, being sort of um, brainwashed uh, with uh, standard photographs and descriptions and guidebooks and all that sort of stuff. And then when you go and you actually visit the building, 
or the piece of architecture and wander around it, it's sometimes very, very shocking to find out what it really is like. Now, it's that what really is like, which is the architecture, which is the visit. Uh, my f I have a, a list of various experiences of visiting Le Corbusier's Ronchamp. There's mine, there's Peter Crone's, who I noticed is in the audience there. Um, there were uh, another two or three. Greg Missingham's got a good one uh, as well. These are all stories about what actually did happen on that visit and what the responses were to various effects and various uh, things that might have just been on that day. Might be the weather, might be the number of people around, etc., etc. Now, these are all, all the conditions of, of perceiving architecture, of occupying, of visiting, it, and so on. Oh, last, uh, last July, for instance, um, I visited Canterbury Cathedral in Canterbury. That's Canterbury, England. And it was during the week of uh, degree conferring ceremonies for the local university couldn't get into the nave. All I could hear were the, were the graduation ceremonies, but we could get in everywhere else. So my visit to the cathedral involves a kind of wander around all the periphery bits, listen to the community doing its thing in the, in the, um, in the main space, and then joining them outside when they all came out with all of their gear on and, and so on and so forth. Now that was the architecture of the cathedral. Now, that's a memory that I'm telling you about sort of verbally now, but you can actually formalise it with photographs and architects tend to do this as well. We take lots and lots of snaps. The worst of us take the same snap that we saw in the book that we got it from. <laughs> oh, sorry, the worst photographs are the ones that repeat the same um, photograph that you see in the book. Harry Seidler's book of the Grand Tour suffers from this. You, you, will, you must know that one, the big fat uh, book. It's building after building after building, taken with that characteristic snap that some photographers invented some time ago. Now, this business of actually going somewhere and seeing it for the first time, as if you're visiting for the first time, it's a unique occasion, is what can happen if you photograph properly. It can happen if you start taking notes and writing what kind of responses you have to the place and so on. And I suspect that's what, that's what I like about this particular project, is, is that's what's being recorded, is not the floor plan of the building <coughs> or its section or its uh, affiliation to some kind of conceptual apparatus. What it is, it's this uh, business of visiting, uh, involving yourself with it somehow or other and then reporting back in a way that doesn't devalue the experience. Alex, I might bring you um, a little bit back to your introduction, In Among Buildings, which if you have a look at it, it's actually, it doesn't appear like a conventional essay. It's in four different sections. And Alex writes about both um, images and poetry as creating a kind of loss. You remember that, Alex? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, there's always a loss. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot. So there's a, a loss, but in fact, in bringing these things together and in the format that um, that in many ways Stuart was instrumental, I think, in in creating what we see in the final product, that you gain um, to quote Alex. Uh, a book that is not visual but visceral, not wordy but worldly. Um, yes, that's push. Uh, that, that was a. It took me a long time to uh, find those words to make sure that they kind of worked as a sort of a little spelling bundle. Poem in themselves. Yeah, a little poem <laughs> in themselves. But that, that well, that's what we do, and uh, it's. Uh, but that's the whole thing about it is that you, you, the the loss. Well, there are two things actually. There's always a loss. Somewhere in my brain, there is an incredibly brilliant collection of ideas that are running off each other and creating uh, uh, explosions of interest. 
but somehow or other, what's coming out of my mouth is a bunch of dreary old words <laughs> that you have to listen to. And I can, I can see that there is a difference. There is a loss between what's going on inside and what's actually uh, being emitted out towards you. The, um, so there is that loss, always in some kind of... Uh, I hesitate to use the word communication, but I suppose that's sort of what it is. Like the photographs, for instance. The photographs are black and white. Now, I don't think there's a single person here that actually sees in black and white, is there? There could, very well, there could be. Um, but, but the photographs are in black and white, so already there's a loss. The photographs don't move. If you think about that photograph of Cairo, which I think is an intensely uh, suggestive kind of image, it's, you just see a little bit of brickwork and a little... I'm not actually sure whether you see brickwork or not. I think you might... A little, little bit, 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 just a little bit, a little bit of concrete, there's a little bit of uh, piping, and the rest of it is just trees. And it's like one of those um, medieval paintings of, uh, of the night in the forest, going into the forest, with just leaves. And it's very, very evocative of a, of a particular occasion, a particular time and place, and a particular kind of space. Um, so there is a loss there in the terms of the colour, the movement, maybe the smell, all those kind of things. But there is something else that is transmitted as well. And of course, if you then add that, the photograph of that, with some kind of uh, verbal description, which also is a loss as well. But the two work together and something else is created, really. I think um, a question I had for Michael when I started uh, reading the poetry was, uh, why are you doing this? Yeah, <laughs> Like, what's the intention? Um, do you think you remember the answer? Not sure. <laughs> Do you want to have a go? Uh, yeah. Um, tell me if I get this right. Um, <laughs> Tom and I were interested in, I suppose, presenting very subjective experiences of buildings that we all know very well and that in some ways we've become blind to. Yeah. Um, and, yes. and by presenting these very subjective experiences, I guess we were hoping to open... Um, uh, imaginative doors in a way so that people maybe walk around the city more um, and to think more about um, what a building can mean to the, to the narrative of their days or their lives or, um, and, and not in any way which is prescriptive but um, in a way which is very personal. A plus. Was that what I said? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's perhaps a really nice point to bring in Stuart because when I first, uh, when I first looked at the manuscript, um, in fact I looked at it over a series of years, but it always had remained quite similar in format. So image, poem, image, there was some discussion that these might um, be presented in a kind of concertina-like format um, and I went through the process of talking about the poetry with Michael and didn't see it for six months and was um, seriously surprised to, to see the, the sheets that create the, the final collection. And I think this is really where Stuart um, comes in, that somehow you've managed to, to dissuade everyone from a more traditional format and perhaps you want to talk about that process a little bit. Yeah, I think... Um one of the, if I can go about that in a, in a roundabout sort sure. of way, I think one yeah. of the <clears throat> one of the things that this book captures, um, aside from the architecture, in fact, and it's a, a uh, it's a gain between between the cracks, is that it kind of documents in this very abstract way the friendship between these two. Um, it reminds mm. me of this. Mm. Uh, there's this quite famous amongst sort of contemporary book design 
people um, uh, uh, letter or correspondence between uh, the person who started Revolver Books and the person who started Roma Books. And it's called, um, uh, the title of it is Books Make Friends, but it also kind of goes, um, and it's about that kind of community of, of you know, the, the, the book as an object and how it travels around the world and how you kind of meet these people at book fairs and, you know, you appreciate each other's work from afar, but then you have these kind of intimate things to talk about as, you know, um, when, you, when you meet or in correspondence. Um, and also, so in that way, kind of, it makes sure that it makes the, the opposite true, that, that um, friends make books. Um, and in this sense, the kind of, um, uh, I think the process for me was, um, uh, it was so enjoyable because it was partly just an observational kind of gentle kind of pulling out what was, what was nice about the way these two kind of interacted and where, how the, how the text and the image kind of came about. And in a way kind of how fluid those conversations were and how, um, how, how easy they were. And so, um, all of the changes that took it from a quite small format, completely consistent format, to uh, a much looser and um, just a much looser thing, I think, and maybe a more casual thing, um, was just, I think, about pulling out uh, the things that were in there and the things that I, I was already kind of admiring about projects. I like how you describe it as a gentle... Um, pushing of the work when we brought it to Stuart when we got it back from him it was completely unrecognisable like he'd shot it with a machine gun or something it was so different and we got really anxious <laughs> and um, yeah I think it was too, yeah part ang part excited and part yeah, terrified like, oh my and um, yeah <laughs> um, yeah I think we we, we, we kind of came back to Stuart and said um, you've you've uh, You've caused us all sorts of problems in these ways. <laughs> Can we go back to how we were before, please? And, and then um, we did. And momentarily, we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, yeah, we've also said that Stuart was, um, was, was, came along to spice up our relationship uh, in, this, <laughs> in this project. Um, and uh, and it, was, it was an incredible, it was an incredible um, kind of tr transformative moment. Uh, in in the project, and really, um, Stuart really pushed us quite hard um, in a in a gentle in, a, in his gentle way <laughs> uh, to um, to think about um, more carefully about the relationship between. Um, we were always trying to create this relationship between the, the words and the images, where there was this kind of we kind of always thought of it like a kind of a, 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 some kind of vibration between the between the um, the words and the t and the tech and the images where you're moving between them and. And Stuart really kind of opened the door to the possibility that sometimes um, the text and the words were um, sitting closer together, and sometimes um, they needed to be um, drawn further apart. And um, and that there were there were there was a whole spectrum of relationships between the words and the text that were at play. And and through his kind of formatting and designing of it, we we were kind of afforded the opportunity to um, explore that in in much more depth. I think. One of the really interesting moments in that, uh, if you look through the, the sheets later, is that um, in certain sheets there's a poem sitting as a whole poem on its own. And on other sheets, uh, particularly for me, having sort of gone through all this poetry, uh, I felt like part of the poem had, um, had been abandoned only to find it on another part of the sheet. And so there's actual plays between um, how, how the words sit. Um, 
on the page as well, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, one of the best things is now when you go through some parts of the book, it's much more analogous to maybe how you would walk into the, into that building or like the sense of discovery when you're folding like before they were all the same format in this concertina fold and now they're all different and they fold different ways so you sort of need to you're never quite sure where you're at and um they're all custom sort of designed for each building and um yeah i feel like that I thought, Tom, you might also it. like to speak to what happened with um, the chronology and um, when you were assembling the book. Among, so the time the chronology. Together. So initially this book was really organised through the principle of um, time, I think. So there was a chronological time from the earliest uh, buildings, so the dates of the, the, those buildings to the later dates. And this has been, as I understand it, fairly faithfully maintained throughout the process but when all the sheets arrived um yeah well we put all the imagine these are all in big boxes of 250 of each of them and they put them all in a row in a totally random row and i said well we're going to put them in some kind of order and these two madmen were like we'll just do it like this (laughs) (laughs) and partly partly that was partly that was a um and in an enduring reference for me is a is a, a book written in the seventies by um, a guy called B. S. Johnson, um, and it's a it's a, a series of, um, of reminiscences that he had over a day about a friend who had recently mm. died, and it came in a box in this series of unbound sections. And the whole point and structure of the book was that um, they occurred to him over the course of that day out of order, um, and so the chronology actually put them in chronological order made no sense um which seemed to make a lot of sense for this project as well because um uh we don't experience these buildings in chronological order yeah and that sense of discovery through um that kind of sense of discovery that we that we were kind of um aiming for in in the work that we were producing is really reflected beautifully in the design in that sense that it it really is a process of of unfolding and Mm. finding and and it's never, two readings will never be the same. I think it also allows people to thematically organise the poems for mm. themselves, which, mm. which I did when I was, I had a uh, flag system of poems that I thought were similar, which were nowhere near one another in the context of the chronology, but uh, we sort of worked through poems, through theme at times, which um, given the fragmented nature of the box, you can make those connections or or different connections for yourself, I suppose. What I was talking about before in this business of the the unique and subjective visit to a piece of architecture and how could you remember that and maybe materialise it so that other people can share what the experience that you've just been through. This is something to do with memory and and memory is something that you go over and over and over and over and over until you die, I guess. And... uh, the, what you go over is changed every time and the order of all the remembrances are changed as well. There's a, there's a kind of physical analogue in this, in this book in that this, the, you're not likely... Are actually, all the, all the books the same? They're all in the same order at, at that time when they're shrink-wrapped? Pretty much. Pretty much, OK. But I bet they don't last that way. No. No, because no, they'll be taken out, if they're taken out, <laughs> Unless you want to keep a mint copy somewhere in a vault or whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> so you have to buy two copies. You have to buy one and keep it mint, yeah. And then you have one for use, yeah. 
So, the, but the one for use, I guarantee, over the years is not you'll you'll maybe the first two or three times you'll put it back sort of the way it was, yeah, and then afterwards you'll say, oh, what the, we'll just just put it back, yeah, and it, it actually doesn't matter, and it's a kind of a physical analog of this business of memories and experiences, which surface in different kinds of sequences and with different kinds of strengths and values over time. So what I remember, for instance, as I'm, uh, what I remembered as I came down the tram from uh, Carlton to, to this joint this evening was a different bunch of memories in a different order with different kinds of qualities and different kinds of flashes to uh, say what I was thinking about uh, and trying to memory, to, to use my memory with, uh, trying to use in my memory. None of that really works, does it? Um, you, you, you know what I mean. Um, uh, but there, there's a uh, there's a kind of difference each time that you approach this bank of memory, and it's it's because you continually redo it and do it and do it and do it that and redo it that the memories retain. It's the ones that, that sort of are left behind. You uh, uh, if they're not kind of polished and fixed up all the time or maintained, they're, they're gone. So anyway, that's that's part of the subjective realm, which is what I think this this book is uh, attempting to uh, to confront. Or no, 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 I'll put it this way. It's part of the subjective realm which this book is demonstrating, but also helping you to find, find an image for your own as well. Yeah, that would be the... Did that make sense? Yeah, that would be the hope. Mike and I have talked about how rather than being prescriptive as a lot of writing, and especially photography, is of architecture where the image, for instance, might represent the building, like this is this building, the hope with this would be more that... Um, to invite people to go and discover the building anew for themselves um, as we sort of just wandered around. Yeah, if you're hoping to understand what the buildings are about through reading the poetry, for example, you're likely to be <laughs> sorely disappointed. Um. Oh, no, I don't agree with that. No. I don't agree with that. Yeah. No, what, what you mean if you want to find out what their materials are and uh, how big the space is and what the module was and all that sort of stuff, you won't get it. Yeah, but you'll get some other kind of really more important aspect of the building, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's um, interesting as well. So Michael and Tom obviously both have a great knowledge of architecture. And as I was making my way through some of these poems, I didn't really understand uh, what they were about or why things were there. And Michael, who I was working with, would often have this fantastic story um, and, a, and a real treat in this collection is the Manchester <laughs> Unity Building. Um, which started out as a... Uh, started out with Michaela and I laughing for about half an hour at how much she hated it. <laughs> it did. It, it was highly comic, highly out of um, sort of context, I guess, with the rest of the collection. Um, however, Michael told me the story that had created this poem, which is an amazing poem, and I think what he's ended up with is a, is a distillation um, of that original story. So I think a lot of the poems sort of um, reference historical narratives and, and, a, and a layer of other narratives that we don't necessarily have access to as non-architects. Um, I don't know how many people I'm speaking to when I say non-architects, but um, yeah, I think that's a really beautiful aspect of the collection. Something that hasn't come up though, I mean, Michael and Tom are both sitting here with fragments of their collection. Um, what was the hope in fragmenting the pages there? For the reader, so as in having it un unbound. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we met with Alex. Is that 
Is that what happens? <laughs> well, we, were passing it, we were passing bits of it around anyway and we noticed how great it was to be able to look at it and pass it and rather than the linear kind of bound book form, which is a pretty pers- like one person at a time kind of format. We're sitting around a table just kind of passing them all around, talking about all the different buildings and projects and words and photos. And, and we'd assumed that we were going to be binding these concertinas into, into, into one book and then there was just that moment of, hang on a second, there's a lot of joy in, in the looseness and the openness of this and the sh- being able to share it. Um, with, you, normally when you, when, you, when, you read a, when you read a book or you read a, look at a, po- a, a photography book or read poetry, it's a, uh, an individual's experience, um, singular ex- experience of that, of that work and we enjoyed being able to have a conversation about it. It's, it's, it's possible that at that meeting that uh, some of my um, utter and complete hatred of the standard book uh, <laughs> rubbed, off on us. rubbed off, somehow went into the air. Was it, was it, was it Cairo, which is only a small room, so there was enough container, uh, cont- containment of this, uh, of this uh, feeling. The, 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 there's a lot to be said for, uh, for just forgetting about the book altogether, really. Um, it, it's uh, thanks, Alex. It's it's not this book. I mean, the thing called the book. You know, there's um, the thing about a book is that is that uh, all of us here have been forced to uh, to take part in them and to enjoy them and to handle them since we're about uh, maybe about six months old. That's a lot of years when I look around here and total it all up. So, and there's a lot of books. And by the time we're about two or three, we know what a book is. And actually, at that stage, we also think what a joyful and wonderful object it actually is. But very soon after that, we are told to stop it. Stop it or you'll go blind. Book is text, right? People say, I've written a book. No, what they mean is they've written a text. They've not written a book. Most books that we have are there to be ignored. They're invisible. You pick up a book, you might see the cover of it in the shop and you, that might sort of attract you and the weight of it and the feel of it might grab you. After that, <laughs> it's gone. Yeah? What you're interested in or supposed to be interested in is all the words and the stuff that's there that's representing other ideas that are ephemeral, ephemeral and maybe virtual. On the other hand, the book is actually a really interesting kind of object. We've just been told how to... T- we've been told and forced to forget it. So... One way, I suppose, that you can think about this is just this little, this little detail of it. Um, you know how in a book you've got uh, text generally going left to right in our culture. It starts at the top of the page, it goes all the way down and goes to the bottom right-hand corner and then it stops and you pick up the page and you turn <laughs> it over, sometimes not as slowly as that, but generally, you know, like, well, that's certainly the books that I do because they're always big and got lots of pictures and they're thick paper. So anyway, so put, turn it over and then you start again up the top left-hand page, yes, and it's halfway through a sentence. Now, what happened to the time between that last word on the previous page and the first word of the next page? Where did time go at that point? Yeah. So there is this business of the page being uh, a movement in space. I'm doing it with my hands here, yeah. But there's a movement in space. It's actually symmetrical too, which is an interesting kind of thing about a book. Um, and so on and so forth. All the data is, uh, is uh, chopped up into separate pieces. Uh, there's a kind of an assumed sequence. 
that linearity of a book is the thing that drives me absolutely nuts because life is not like that at all. Time is not like that at all. Um, and yet this is the thing that constantly, uh, um, t the, the book constantly tells you. So the idea that uh, to bind it, for instance, this, this lovely idea of the subjective uh, responses to, um, the realistic subjective responses to, uh, to, uh, to the environment and to the, to the architecture, to, to put that into a bound book seemed to be anathema, really. It's interesting though, Alex. So <clears throat> I suggested last week that what we had here in front of us was an art book, um, which met you, with displeasure from all of the panel. Yeah. <laughs> um, do, do, oh, you mean an artist's book? Yeah. Artist's book, okay. Well, it's, it's, I don't think it is. Well, I'm not sure whether it's an artist's book because no one really knows what an artist's book is. Maybe yeah. it isn't. What do you think what we about, have here? Stuart, what, what's your take on it? Because you're, you're the book man. <clears throat> I think it's not an artist's book. Yeah. Um, but I think it, I think it does sit in a mm. uh, in a in a, 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 a really interesting little in between place between the artist's book and more mm. conventional publishing, um, where which you know is largely referred to as small press publishing or or small press art book publishing, um, and I think that's just, I mean that's I think that's characterised by uh, small runs invent, invention in the form of the book as well as into editorial ideas for content and, and so on. But um, it doesn't uh, it doesn't think of the book as a work of art in a way that an no. artist's no, book that's thinks right. of it is. Yes, so I have a fairly uh, narrow idea of what, a, what an artist's book is, and that is that it's a book that is made by an artist as part of the oeuvre of the, of the artist. And it's, it's the artist's artists' concerns and interests moving into and using an object which has all sorts of chronological uh, formats, has size to do with it, has reproductibility, has print, all that sort of stuff uh, go going on with it. And it's the way that that is exploited uh, by the artist on art terms. So that everything about the artist's book is semantic, semantic in an art kind of way. That is pretty rich and uh, slightly ambiguous. Um, now, there are some aspects of that in this book here. So, so, for instance, having to pull the pages out and unfold them, you suddenly become aware of the paper in a different way to you would in a, if it was, if, even if it was concertina bound, yeah? yeah so, concertina is actually even nicer for us because we're not used to it all that much. But an ordinary codex is, uh, is well, it's boring, really. <laughs> it's, it, it just is counterproductive. But, you know, what have you got? You've got a rubber band. First thing you have... Actually, if you buy the book, you've got a bit of plastic to get through first, haven't you? Easier than the Saturday age, I can tell you. Anyway. But you've got a bit of plastic to go through, so there's a cover. The plastic never goes back. Um, then there's a rubber band. The rubber band has to come off. Then you have to kind of pull the contents out. And already you're in a different zone to the business of opening up a book. Yeah? <laughs> you can reshuffle. You can shuffle it. You, each one of those pages you can... That's right. Yeah? That's, that's getting a better order into it already. <laughs> okay. This, this business of the, the uh, words and the pictures is an interesting one too, I, I feel. There's, there's um, the word image, uh, the relationship between images and uh, words is a long-standing one, really. It's like, a, like an intense, uh, it's kind of, kind of like a marriage, you know. There are sort of, um, there are kind of uh, things that each uh, point out uh, is wrong with the other and there's also a kind of a deep infatuation too. They seem to be kind of two different kinds of qualities which uh, work quite well together. And the traditional way of doing this is the illustrated book. 
which is you've got on the one page you've got an image and then you've got a caption and the two are supposed to go together it's like a forced relationship it's a what do you what do you call those things fixed um, when marriages when they're set up arranged it's an arranged marriage that's right yes um you were going to say estranged weren't you estranged (laughs) (laughs) no i wasn't going to say that but that's cute um so you've got this this kind of traditional idea that the text and and the image are to do with illustrating each other. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I always yeah. said that the that the images were there to just illustrate the text. Well, but they, Tom, well, Tom, well, they Tom, do. They Tom do. assured me that yeah. the text was just a caption. Yes, <laughs> well, they, they can they can they can do all of that. But the thing about putting them all into a format like a codex is that uh, there's the there's the caption on the same page as that, and it's, it's that caption belongs to this. Yeah. The thing with, with your arrangement here that you've got here is that suddenly they can slip from one to the other. A memory of one of the photographs can be, can be applied to one of the poems. The poems can slip from, from one particular sheet to another, so to speak. When I say slip, I don't mean they actually do move. But wouldn't that be interesting? So there was, quite, Next edition. There, was, there was quite a lot of discussion between the three of us when it came to the formatting and design of the book yeah. about um, the order in which you consume the information. So... Um, Quite, quite lengthy conversations really over the course of a couple of months about um, when, uh, when, you, when you read this text, what image are you seeing or when you see this image, which words? Um, and when you finish these words, what do you see next? And, ha- and what, what unfolds? It was, in my mind, it, it, was almost, uh, it was almost about the kind of cinematic experience of, of moving through wor- words and images um, uh, and yeah, through, through that unfolding, which which became a really interesting conversation, but I guess I'd like to ask Stuart maybe mm. um, why what what prompted you to move to to um, towards the poster format? I think um, I think the concertinas just w- weren't uh, like you'd set up a really this really interesting um, sort of fundamental relationship between. Um, where there was always a text and an image on a on a on a fold, like facing one another, and there, mm. there was this kind of vibration that was happening there, which which um, worked most of the time. My but not friend all Tom the said time. at the pub, "A spectrum of success and failure." <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and so um, I think it was just kind of you know logical to think to think further than that, and because it, it felt like it was kind of limiting. Certain projects, um, uh, and in a way, like the, the the way these ended up being being folded, like they they are just um, the kind of untrimmed sections of a book. It's like a it's a way that I kind of think quite naturally when it comes to paper and binding. Um, uh, that uh, before a book gets cut, it's a much more kind of continuous sort of there are far fewer sheets of paper in there. Um, uh, but I think you know the, what what we had, what you had, was like a, a much more horizontal, fundamentally horizontal idea of a book, and and the idea of them folding out, um, just spatialized it, you know, in a, in a in a way that a book doesn't often kind of do. Um, but then also it it sort of seemed to uh, uh, once that thought had occurred, it sort of seemed to imply that there were other relationships that we could make between the text and the images that some images just wanted to be much larger and um, some text wanted to have um, the emphasis of more space around it and and those those kind of odd hierarchy things um, just occurred 
and um, seem to come out of the work. And it we even had a spreadsheet <coughs> for them. <laughs> <laughs> and it would seem that the coherence is also the geography at some level and the, and the title, the Among Buildings title, that you're deriving some coherence from that. Yeah. Yeah, I think geography is an interesting way to, to think about it. Um, yeah, how we placed information on this landscape. <laughs> mm. um, we're rapidly running out of time, so I thought I might just um, conclude by asking you all, you know, what, what are your hopes, Stuart, Tom and Michael, for the publication now that it has been launched out into the world for the reader to um, contend with in their own way? Crikey. <laughs> <laughs> what, what would be the best kind of response in your opinion? I r really love the idea that people will might, might sit around a table and, and read it more communally than they would a traditional text. Oh, um, yes, yes. That's right. Oh, you can do that because you can – yeah, it's like bits of the Saturday paper, isn't it? Uh, yeah. 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 Mm. And we've all yeah. talked about that the idea that maybe someone would take one of the leafs to one of the buildings – and maybe read it, and you just yeah, just sl nice. slip it between the pages of another book, and you know, take take the take the 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 concertina of the or the, the the poster of the shrine out to the shrine, and and a lot and a lot of the a lot of the images and a lot of the texts, I think, make a lot more sense when you're there at the building, um, as well. So the building almost completes the work in a way, or an experience of the building uh, goes some way to com completing that experience. So yeah. If people were to take take them to the buildings, that would mm. be great. Mm. <laughs> do, you, do you have a remark on that, Stuart? Yeah, I think um, the the thought I just had was just that I hope it um, contributes to some understanding of architecture that's not necessarily so heroic. You know, that's more casual, mm. individual, humble, kind of. Yeah, I think I think architecture is, is too often kind of. Um, communicated as being heroic. Um, due to a little bit of negligence on my own part at the start, um, if anyone would like to ask questions, they're welcome. But before I do that, there's a um, table over here where this beautiful publication is being sold. Uh, it will be there for the next 15 minutes. Is that right? Yeah, approximately. So if you would like to purchase a copy and have it signed by um, <laughs> its artists... They have brought, uh, I believe, a white pencil to, <laughs> mar to mark the black pages of the introduction. Uh, they thought it through. Um, so just be aware that that's, that's possible now. And um, are there any, any questions for the, for the panel? <laughs> could Michael read a poem, please? You go. Yeah, uh, yeah I could give it a shot. Are you after Manchester <laughs> Unity? Really? Yeah, she Manchester yeah. Unity. That wouldn't be all right. Good one. What about letting him have his own choice? Tom can hold it up. Now he's got to find it. I found Manchester <laughs> Unity. I'm just not 100 percent sure that's where I'd start. I'm not sure if it's characteristic. Yeah. Um, why don't you choose one you're proud of? There's no. Well, what, why don't we go to another question while I dig one out? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I'm just really interested in this idea that Alex has been talking about of uh, the subjective and objective critique. And I know that's something you've talked about for a long time and uh, you actually reviewed one of our buildings about a decade ago where it was very subjective and it talked about a visit and a sort of afternoon picnic. And I think it's incredibly refreshing to read that. I just wonder where our colleagues have been actively discouraged, if not denied, the opportunity to have that sort of uh, licence within the academic world. And I just wonder within academia if there's room for the sort of subjective analysis within, you know, the sort of rigid structures of a PhD or a master's or something like that. No, no room at all. <laughs> <laughs> what we're talking about is not a branch of architecture but a branch of literature. It's possible that... It, uh, uh, in the literary world, you would uh, uh, face the reverse of uh, the pressure, say, in, a, in an architecture school. You would face the pressure to be subjective as, as much as possible, and anything that you did that was objective would be frowned upon. Hence the success, for instance, uh, still continuing success of, uh, of writers like George Perrick and the uh, Ulipo group who uh, are always in your face about finding objective ways of writing about things. So I think it's contextual. Um, I think it probably vary from school to school as well. Um, I've, I've been associated with one school now for a couple of decades, although I have taught in others, and I'm not sure what their, what their particular... Um, what would you like, would you call it ambience is? Yeah. Yeah. Is the poet ready to perform? Yeah, I, I've got one for you. And I can do Manchester Unity because it's so quick, if you like, Ty. Um, I guess that, that they're, not really, they're not really written to be performed, so to speak. They're not really kind of performance poems. That's worth keeping in mind. Uh, <laughs> and also, they're not really... Just shut up and play your guitar. No, no, I think, it's an, I think it's an important point. I mean, page poetry is pretty different. And, and, and also, they feel a little naked to me um, uh, away from Tom's uh, beautiful photography. Um, the, the two images on this page, this is the Queen Victoria Market, um, and we have two images um, kind of really describing kind of the mess and jumble of the place. Um, anyway, uh, Market Hour... Dawn's ink dries to parchment, whitening. Vendors truck about shallow pools with watery eyes and tongues dilating. Their salt is fire. Underfoot, a cemetery. The pavement holds them in. Beat up metal cabinets, hessian monsters, jumble bound. The din of tarps and trestles, of boxes dragged and torn and stomped. History's buried echoes, rejoined by Sparrow's pip. So everyone go home and read it mentally with that deep, dulcet voice in, <laughs> in mind. Uh, to, and to answer Ty's question, uh, Manchester Unity, which is a um, very different tone, um, you got to see the picture for this one. I can't. I can't read this without you seeing this picture. It's incredible. The Manchester Unity Building. Um, I'm going to hold that up while I read it because the poems the on this side. <laughs> very quickly, the story. Okay, very very quickly. I mean, Manchester Unity was the first um, uh, kind of commercial um, building on the Melbourne skyline to challenge the height of St Paul's Cathedral and the Town Hall. So it was a real challenge, a commercial challenge to church and state or the leadership of church and state. 
There's also a story that um, in the basement um, of Manchester Unity, there used to be a restaurant, and in that restaurant were two caged crocodiles. And one night, the, the gate was somehow left unlocked, and the crocodiles got out, and um, the, the diners were a scramble. Were a scramble. <laughs> um, private joke. Sorry. Um, this was removed from the pond. A line that was removed because it was considered too slapstick. Um, the, the diner, the diners um, scrambled away, and the, and the door was locked, and it was some time before they actually went down there and found the crocodile swimming around in a, in, in a water tank. Anyway, um, this incredible kind of reptilian um, photograph um, of the Manchester Unity Building. Um, the gate was left open, and out slunk the beast. Reptilian skin pink in the city night lights. Whose was the master that unloosed this feast? Siren eyelashes batting like dragonfly wings. Not St. Peter, nor Alfred, could put him back in. <laughs> Thanks. Other questions? Yeah, then. I wanted to know if you guys discussed the idea of like it being a cent uh, like a sexy centerfold. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't. No. <laughs> I didn't know anything. Good reference, though. Definitely has that, doesn't it? Some sexy buildings. Yeah. Definitely, that Manchester Unity one would be would be the centerfold. I hope no one reads it like that. <laughs> well, we might conclude um, proceedings, but thank you so much to everyone who's come along to support uh, these beautiful fledgling publish, uh, published artists of a not-art book, yeah? <laughs> um, and, um, yeah. Well thanks, done. everyone, for coming along. Yeah, and, um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah. And actually, um, Michael was saying before, you know, this has been such a labour of love, so to have it here this, this evening is sort of the culmination, perhaps, of a, a lot of love and hard work. And yeah, definitely. Um, per just personally, um, perhaps the most, one of the most enjoyable things I've, I've ever done, spending the last three and a half years working on, on, on this with these amazing people, um, it's just, uh, regardless of how it's received, it's been a real pleasure. So, yeah, thank you for all for being here. It's, um, yeah, special. <laughs>